bringing a few bits over. <laughs> Got a van coming later after work. Is that your dinner jacket? It's a designer suit, if you please. I'm gonna have to sell it though on eBay along with all my other stuff. I can hardly come down for my dinner at Eileen's, can I? Wearing my Giovanni Damani suit. <laughs> Are you moving back in? Phase one of the plan is complete. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, hey, God, we're good. In fact, when Eileen's dishing up tea, I might say, hey, guess who I bumped into? Gentleman George. She's coming. See you later, Sean. See ya. Hello, Eileen. Yeah. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast that's thrilled that the show has finally taken advantage of modern technology and the iPhone 12's famed capability to shoot round ferns. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you got what I need, but you say he's just a friend, but you say he's just a friend, oh baby you. That's the sound of us being demonetised. <laughs> Rest in peace, Bismarcky, dead at 57. Who? So sad. Oh. I didn't know that's what his name was. Bismarcky? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, his, I'm not sure what you're saying. That's his rap name. Biz? Bismarcky. Of the Newport Marquis. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Of the Harlem Marquis. Oh. 57, what did he oh. die of? Uh, they haven't said. Apparently he's been hospitalised since June of last year, so... How long? Enjoy the long illness. Lord only knows. I'm hoping it's not COVID related because, oh. At the end of the day, does it matter? Not really, but, oh, the long, the long and glorious history of Bismarcky. He was on the, um, the children's show Yo Gabba Gabba, which my kids loved because the, uh, the head guy, the, the, the main DJ of Yo Gabba Gabba, was DJ Lance, DJ Lance Rock. So they love the fact that this guy in an orange jumpsuit on TV had the same name as their as their cousin. The Guantanamo guy? <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and, then oh. of course, and then, of course, Bismarck, you played an alien in Men in Black 2. <laughs> I've got nothing. Oh, it's just... You know, when certain celebrities die, you say, ah, well, they had a long run. Mm -hmm. They had a good life. Right. It's sad, but in the end of the day, it was time. And then, alarmingly, we've been getting so many people in, like, their 40s and 50s and 60s dying, and you're like, ah, well, no, that's too soon. Right. That's not great news when you yourself are in your 40s. (laughs) And that's people from, like, your, your... pop cultural past you know mm-hmm. people who make up the the media that you consumed in your younger years dying off and that's that's really alarming right people in my my parents media life are the ones who are supposed to be dying <laughs> off not mine oh yeah. when i think of the bands that i used to like when i was growing up mm-hmm. the guns and the roses right and the metallica and the iron maiden right 
and you see kind of documentaries of these guys now. Like I was watching an Iron Maiden documentary. I don't know why <laughs> this week, but there's a really good like four and a half hour documentary that's in three parts that really charts. Four and a half hour mm-hmm. documentary in Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. It, it goes into a lot of detail. Wow. But oh my God, they are. They're these, old. These guys are in their 60s now. Yeah. Still rocking it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But Still rocking it. But then I think 60s, I think my grandpa. Right, yeah. And he wasn't rocking it. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't rock anything. Yeah. And then he died. Right. Yeah, it's it's like um, I was watching that uh, This Is Pop documentary series on Netflix, you know. And I mean, this is somebody who's absolutely not of my generation. You know, the, the 50s pop singer Paul Anka, you see him. That's like my mum's generation. Walking around, you know, the boardwalk in New Jersey. And he looks like this, you know, 80-year-old grandpa. And you're like, holy God. That's right. People mm-hmm. people do age. Right. <laughs> I, I posted something just last night or yesterday. Uh-huh. It's uh, the Foo Fighters doing a Bee Gees cover. Oh, yeah. And Ricky Lee, our friend... Uh, posted, oh God, they got old. A- yes. As did we all. Yes, I was like, as yeah. did we all. I didn't realise how old I was until I saw Dave Grohl. <laughs> as an old, it's now an old man. Yes, yes, he is. But it was already a week ago, wasn't yeah. it? Even I was watching the uh, Everlong video for the millionth time. Right. Yeah, Bruce Dickinson is 62. When I've seen, oh, my granddad, I think, retired at 58. These people have something different in their genes. I think, don't they? Well, yeah, it's uh, like somebody was posting about the fact that, you know... We will talk about Coronation Street. People don't look their age anymore. That, you know, you look at people like Wilford Brimley when he did... (laughs) Not again. (laughs) Not again. When he did Cocoon, was like the same age as... as, um, um, What's his name? With the face. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need more. Oh, it was in... um, was in the Hollywood movie with um, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Name starts with a P. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. <laughs> Holy shit. Maybe we won't talk about Coronation <laughs> Street. Maybe this is all you're going to get. I got hit in the back of the head with a tile yesterday, okay? I was Forgive me. I was wondering if we were going to mention that. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. No, I was bedding over to feed this the dog. This was gravity. And a tile fell off the wall. It hit me in the back of the head. Or was it pushed? <laughs> The yeah, poltergeist in the house. Doesn't Brad Pitt's an old yeah, fuck, isn't he? Yeah, Brad Pitt is the same age as Wilford Brimley was when Wilford Brimley did Cocoon, and it's like, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> anyway, how was your week besides the Iron Maiden documentary? Uh, that was pretty good. I've good. read a lot of books last week. I know you've been I think reading I've read a lot. Four books last week, and you've been writing a lot, which is also exciting. I've you sent a story off, even. I wrote. A story. Yes. Inspired by our trip. Yes. Inspired by old guys talking about, uh, complaining about things behind me uh, in a restaurant. <laughs> all good stories start. And um, I'm writing a story at the moment. That I'm now 2,000 words a day, which is the most I've written in anger <laughs> on anything that isn't Coronation Street li- related <laughs> for three years or more. And what's this story about? Uh, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> right. It's a kind of 
it's a science fiction story written from the wrong point of view. Right. Is basically what it is. Which is the best part of point of view to write things from. Right. There's a, there's a really interesting story from a different point of view that I'm not telling. Yeah. Speaking of... It's so kind of like I had started a story years ago of a kind of Harry Potter thing mm-hmm. where a, um, a, a child builds this portal with these Christmas present boxes. Right. And he's orphaned, as all good uh, children in fiction are. Right. So he's staying with these, essentially his aunt and his uncle, and he walks through this portal and he disappears. Right. And the story's written from the aunt and uncle's point of view. <laughs> you have to explain how this child has disappeared. Right. It's, a, it's along those lines. Through a portal, yeah. Meanwhile, speaking of science fiction, uh, the Loki series ended this week, and so... I've spent most of my week arguing with people online whether or not Immortus is Kang. Did you win? Kang Immortus. Yes. <laughs> Do they say that they win? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, shall we preamble, my dear, then? Yes, please. Give us some of that geriatric Cory news. <laughs> oh, my God. And I don't know what's in it. You really don't, but it's hilarious that you say that. Because we start off Corey News by going, ooh, Nigel Havers. Yay! Oh, he's dead. No! He was an Iron Maiden. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Audrey's true love rises from the grave to host a new show on the BBC called The Bidding Room, where contestants attempt to sell weird and wonderful secondhand finds. Story of my life, really. If you're looking for some creepy dolls, Nigel, just give me a call. We have way too many creepy dolls in this house. Oh, and creepy doll heads. Yes. <laughs> and disembodied hands. Yes. I collect disembodied hands. Help me. <laughs> My favourite is, uh, it's, a, it's actually a glove mould from like an old factory that made, you know, like rubber gloves. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think my favourite hand is, is the glove mould hand. It's the big one that looms above the others. I'll keep my favourite hand. I missed it for now. <laughs> You're all right, right? Eh? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> huh. COVID cases are on the rise thanks to the Delta variant and the, the hilarious Delta variant. <laughs> And there are fears production of the show might be shut down once again. Oh, no. Yeah. John Winston, uh, the head of ITV North, sent an email this week to cast and crew of both Corey and Emmerdale to urge precautions and to stay, you know, They're using just the guidelines relaxing. and stuff. Right. Stating that there was an alarming number of cases of COVID on both shows. So, you know, it's quite alarming considering the Queen visited last week. Right. Oh, God, yeah. And, um... Ken Barlow is supposed to be returning and they're starting to do, hmm. you know, location shoots again. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see. Stay safe over there, guys. You know, we've relaxed things here too, but we've both had our vaccines. So if you are a member of the cast and crew of Coronation Street or Emmerdale, <laughs> please, please go get your jabs. I would imagine it's they'd fine. be all vaxxed to the hilt, wouldn't they? It's fine. Trust thought. us, you won't you won't get five G or magnetized arms. You won't become a mutant Not and from join that. the X Men. Right. Not from that. Finally, 
In the midst of all these concerns, it seems that some members of the cast have finally got a little R and R. Is Daniel Brocklebank, Gareth Pierce, Julia Golding, uh, Tony Mosley, and Sue Cleaver recently took a little camping trip together. I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> posting shirtless pictures of one another. You know, well, under well, Daniel Brocklebank was posting <laughs> shirtless pictures. His very manly chest. Sale. <laughs> We all know I'm not his type, but um, yeah, it, it looked delightful. It was funny because it was kind of like a Eileen's family breakaway right. plus Julia. Right. <laughs> showed yes, up. very much so. Yeah, it was delightful. One wonders what Jane Danson has to do to get a vacation, though. Ugh, seriously, <laughs> give that poor woman a vacation. We we know a, a lovely a lovely hotel in Pigeon Forge we can recommend. And that's Corey News. That is Corey News. Now we will podcast for coffee. Thank you to Welsh Jackie for our coffees this week. Woohoo, Welsh Jackie! Thank you very much indeed. I wonder if she's related to Nurse Jackie. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I think these are the, the the second coffees that Welsh Jackie has bought us. Oh, well, nice. <clears throat> so thank you very much indeed. She was also kind enough in her comment to point out that our Jones the Test thing. Remember mm-hmm. Jones the Test thing? Yes. This was our Welsh version of the Bechdale Test where two named characters who identify as Welsh talk to each other <laughs> about something other than rugby. She didn't find that <laughs> offensive. Oh, good. At least not to her. <laughs> thank you very much, Jackie. I'm drinking my coffee this week from my best fucking husband ever mug. Yes. It's the most profane mug, I think, that we own. Yes. Second second to uh, your mug that you bought me that says, after nine years of marriage, you're still the best wife ever. Keep that shit up. Keep that shit up. Keep that shit up. That's not the mug I'm drinking from, sadly. Yep. I'm drinking from a generic. Soothing pleasures are the best. And tea soothes the soul mug. And yet I'm, I'm drinking coffee out of it. We're running short on mugs because mugs are the only things we use in the summertime. <laughs> right, when the kids are away, we don't eat. Yeah, we really don't. <laughs> so thank you again, Jackie. And if you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can buy us a coffee. We will be very appreciative. Yes, we will. As I think we've just proved. Yes, we do love our coffee. And now, this. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about King of the Knickers. King of the Knickers. Is this Kirk? That's right, this was Kirk going on about his missing balls <laughs> while Carla confirmed that Nick was still... King of the Knickers. King of the Knickers. I was Gavin and you were... Every day you were shuffling... Every day was shuffling. Sh- I think you said shuffling. I listened to it a few times. Every day I'm shuffling, you said. Did I suddenly go back to 2005? <laughs> what was I shuffling? Uh, uh, CDs? I'm I don't sure. really have a CD player anymore. Uh, or I was I was singing that song that. The, I, th- I think you were singing the song, yeah. 
I don't know why. Uh, now we will never know. <laughs> the phrase, a colony of spiders, terrified me to my core. <laughs> Toya finally confesses to Leanne about her and Imran's plans to foster a child. Seb's back to his old ways with the treatment of his mother, leaving Abby to turn into a rapping jack for some love and respect. No. Again, this was, I think, the twins were going to Australia, remember? Right, yes. I always wonder if that was part of that larger storyline. Get rid of the twins. Right. Because we're going to kill Seb, like, nine <laughs> months later. I wonder. I don't know. Aggie and Grace catch Michael doing something embarrassing on the living room sofa. <clears throat> Adam can be tracked down based on his aftershave and continues to mine Laura the Chin for dirt on Gary. Yasmin buys a f- phone call with deodorant and biscuits. Faye calls Alia a cowbag. Kirk, as I mentioned, loses his balls. Our moment of the week was Jack's little speech to Abby, pepping her up, telling her it's okay to lose people. Oh, God. Following the departure of the twins again. Oh, oh is this so sad? Is this foreboding? This makes it even more sad that Sam is dead. Mm-hmm. Oh. Another boring moment of the week was Daniel doing the dishes. <laughs> that sounds about right. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Now, there will be a hard debate jingle at some point because last week it, it gave you a little fright. <laughs> Well, I, it, you told me beforehand that it was coming last week too, and that was before I got hit in the back of the head with a tile. So, so who I will knows probably how this is also go. be shocked and alarmed this week. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is a daisy between two roses. Because Daisy's in that again this week. Ah. On Monday, Ryan wakes up in Daisy's bed as she comes in with tea and she's wearing... His shirt from last week. <gasps> Meanwhile, Alia is at home, worried and leaving messages on his phone left and right. Yes, which, remember, is down the back of the couch. Yep. Daisy claims not to know how he ended up in her bed. She reckons he was too drunk to fuck, but reckons that they must have had a smooch. Just a laugh then, says Ryan, hopefully, and he decides that nothing happened. He finds his phone down the back of the couch, grabs his things and leaves. Mm-hmm. And he gets home as Yasmin is trying to reassure Alia. He claims he was out of it last night and Alia understandably is unconvinced and wants to know where he was. And who he was with. Who he was with. He tries to downplay with a Ibiza clock saying, oh, well, it's only like 10 o'clock in the morning. If we were in Ibiza, we'd we'd just be going out or something. And Alia's quizzically going, we're not in Ibiza. He He also name drops San Jose. San Antonio. San Antonio, mm-hmm. which is in Texas. And also in Ibiza. <laughs> it is in Ibiza. When that doesn't work, he says that he hooked up with a mate. Oh, what was his mate? DJ Zortan or something. DJ Laird, Rock. Oh, you're coming up with him. Just as we were getting over that. He got Mullard and ended up kipping at his place. Alia's still upset, but wants him all to herself tonight to make up for it. Yeah. Later in the pub, Daisy claims that Ryan was the one who was getting a bit handsy, but she didn't mind. Ryan confesses to lying to Alia and asks Daisy not to drop him in it. Let's keep shit professional and forget about last night, and Daisy promises to do so. Mm-hmm. Alia comes into the Rovers and chats to Ryan about their special evening that they've got planned for tonight. Daisy pipes up that they have a DJ meeting tonight that he needs to attend. Alia pulls rank. Like it or lump it, Ryan's with me tonight, and Daisy does not react well to this. Who do you think you're talking to, she says? Excuse me? Excuse me? Oh, 
How Daisy has got through, how long has she been in the show now? About a year? Yeah. Nobody's punched her. <laughs> or booted her in the pie. None of that's happened. No. How? Coronavirus. Mm. Nobody can touch each other. So. Otherwise, somebody would have booted her in the eye or the pie hole or wherever you were talking about with that with that colourful euphemism. She storms through the back with Ryan on her heels. Daisy sees Alia hanging around the door and deliberately starts talking about last night and even though they can't remember, he ended up in her bed and Alia storms in saying, what the actual? Yes. Is this the tramp that you crashed on? And Daisy seems to be a little bit, who you calling a tramp? And Alia's uh-huh. like, I'm calling, calling you a you fucking a tramp. tramp. She reveals that Daisy told her she didn't know where Ryan was last night and then she's done. She calls him a liar and leaves and Ryan runs after her as Daisy smiles. Yes. Outside, Jenny sees Alia and Ryan and reckons that Daisy's hand is behind all this. Right. Then Ryan gets back to the house. Apart from all the lies that I told you, I didn't lie to you, babe. Right. Yeah. <sighs> he actually said that. He actually did say that. Ryan is the new Donald Trump, apparently. Mm-hmm. Apart from apart from all those lies, I've been telling the truth. Right. He admits that it's yep, it's a possibility that he slept with Daisy, but neither of them can remember. And he was really, really drunk, which is the perfect excuse. Mm-hmm. Alia warned him about this, and made and he made her feel crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was gaslighting her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, who's crazy now? Yeah. Seriously. So Arya storms round to Roy's Rose to demand to know what happened because Daisy's there. Daisy admits that she didn't sleep with Ryan. She only said that she didn't remember because he came on to her and had a bit of a winch. Ryan couldn't give consent and she's not that kind of girl. <laughs> and I'm kind of... I don't believe anything that she says. No, me neither. And I'm sure that she must have said something that's been true out of all of this. Right. But it's impossible to tell. I think the bit about Ryan being too drunk to consent is the truth. Right. I think she tried to kiss him and he probably backed off. Because yeah. it's it's obvious. The thing about this whole storyline is that through it all, and Ryan has made some mistakes, it's obvious he really does genuinely love Alia and wants to be with Alia. He's like a little puppy dog girl. I know. It's so sweet. <laughs> I, you know... It makes me really invest. It's hilarious that <laughs> this makes me really invested in Ryan and Alia's relationship. Well, remember a few weeks ago, I was kind of, well, if they're done, they're done. I don't really care about them anymore. Mm-hmm. Because we hadn't seen them. They hadn't mm-hmm. been a thing for, for so long. He hadn't been in it for what felt like months. Right. But just having them back together. Right. Even though she was, she was a little bit. Right. It wasn't really naggy, but she was. He's he is a puppy dog, right? Yeah, and he is subservient, and she wants things to move quicker than I think he wants something to move. But he doesn't feel like he has a voice to tell her this. It's kind of what I picked. And up also, from it. you know, she's a very Type A personality, and he's very much not a Type A personality. So very she good. kind of feels like she has to take the reins. Otherwise, no one will. And you know, he he. In many ways, it seems like. He's okay with that. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't want to give up DJ because he did. He did. He was sitting in the rovers, applying for the thing for Debbie before Daisy turned his head again. Right. And he, the whole reason, the only reason why Daisy can turn his head is because she's 
attempting to give him DJ work. Or something. Something. The 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 real mistake that Alia made was calling these DJing a hobby. Right, yeah. Which is true. But yeah. don't don't be calling him right. a hobbyist right. DJ. He thinks he's he could be the next fat boy slim or somebody relevant, right? Even then, though, when he's in this situation with Daisy, he's not trying it on with her at all. He's no. not. He's not the one that's laying down any right. any double entendre or anything no. like that. But what he does or what he doesn't do is remove himself from that situation. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, <sighs> Alia goes back home and throws Ryan out, and a tearful Ryan begs to fix this. He doesn't want this to be over. Then how come it is? Says Alia. Poor Ryan is in the community garden with a single duffel bag and Jenny happens along and learns that Alia chucked him out and Daisy is behind it. Although it doesn't look great, she says that Alia wouldn't want him sleeping rough, which is probably true, and puts him up in the rovers for the night. And at home, Alia is worried that she's just thrown Ryan to Velociraptor Daisy. <laughs> she will eat him alive, says Jasmine. Which isn't true. And at the Rovers, Ryan announces to Daisy that he'll be sleeping on the couch. Jenny's in the kitchen and overhears Daisy mention how nice it was to have someone give her attention the other night. And when Ryan promises it won't happen again, Daisy sounds her disappointment. Ryan goes off for a shower and Jenny pounces, he's the guy you were dressed up for the other night. Nothing gets by Jenny. And she starts leaning to Daisy about being a manipulative cow and deliberately destroying Ryan's relationship. So Daisy resorts to plan B... And turns on the tears. Right. Which obviously... Which works! It always works. Why does this work with Jenny? This is what worked a few weeks ago when she was given the whole spiel about... About her dad. Right. Yeah. And that's why I don't believe her. Because I don't believe her here. Right. Well, here she's just like, how could you... How could you believe that of me? And she's not really giving a good argument. Maybe I should leave if you think I am the person that I really am. <laughs> But all of this softens Jenny up and then she has to leave to attend to The Undertaker from another storyline in the main bar. Right. Then on Wednesday, outside the Rovers, Ryan makes another plea to Alia, but she's none too impressed that he stayed there overnight. But it's none of her business now because he's single, so whatever, babes. And at the Rovers, Ryan is moping. Daisy thinks that Alia should be the one coming over to apologise to him for blowing everything out of proportion. Mm -hmm. But when Ryan gets a text from Alia wanting him over, he jumps at it, thinking that this is a chance for reconciliation. So he goes round with flowers, but Alia actually just wants the rest of his shit gone. He begs her to take him back, but she's been betrayed. He doesn't seem to understand, so she spells it out. He kissed Daisy, and he lied about it. You're dumped. Right. Now, Alia is no angel. No. And we've, we've seen people point this out, that, you know, she cheated on Gary. She was a bit of a manipulative cow herself when she was working at Underworld, but still. Yes. I think we're going to call that old Alia. Right, yes. Daisy comes along as Ryan is moving his equipment out. But not and I like that. that. Alia, th- mm-hmm. Alia mm-hmm. throws his dirty undies at him, suggesting that maybe his new girlfriend can wash them for him, and she slams the door on the pair of them. So back at the Rovers, Ryan gets a text from a mate offering him a job at Val d'Isere, and he doesn't want to go alone, so because he doesn't like flying on his own, apparently. He really is a child. He really is. So he invites Daisy along. How did he get back from Ibiza if he doesn't like to fly alone? He was drunk. Remember? <laughs> You must remember that. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he bumped into something and then fell over. Yes. 
He does a much much better drunk now. Yes, he does. It wouldn't be hard. (laughs) (laughs) So so he invites Daisy along, who (coughs) pretends not to be interested, but then warms as he continues to beg. But she wants to practice sleeping together if they're going to be sharing a space. She kind of plays with her hair a little bit. Uh He kind of looks and smiles. And then that's it. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So many people he could invite to come along with him mm-hmm. that wouldn't, you know, just drive a further wedge between him and Alia. Well, that seems to be dead, right? It's now dead, but maybe wait more than 24 hours before you right. start officially taking somebody else right. to Val d'Azer or wherever. Right. Skiing. Ooh. Fancy. Fancy. Do you think this is going to be the start of a relationship between Ryan and not. Daisy? What does Daisy want out of this? I don't know. That's See, the thing. Nobody really knows her motivation for any of this. Which you were quite okay with last week. And I'm still, for the most part, okay with it. I'm, You know, it doesn't necessarily bother me. I do still like the idea of somebody being evil just for the sake of being evil. Mm-hmm. I just, I still just feel like Ryan's a weird choice for the evil lady to go after but then again tracy and steve and ryan does kind of have steve muppet vibes you know you could see it in a few years time yeah in 20 years time ryan's still on the street pulling muppet faces dressing up as a dinosaur with (laughs) i don't know adam (laughs) paul maybe that's better Yeah, yeah paul or maybe his brother comes back or daniel not Daniel. Daniel's not getting in a dinosaur costume. <laughs> Prove us wrong, Coronation Street. <laughs> Stick Daniel in a dinosaur costume. <laughs> Make it happen. Make it so. <laughs> I think Daisy's already got out of this what she wanted to get out of it, which was just to break up Ryan and Alia because she could. Right. Yeah, and I don't really feel because like people are racking their brains like, oh, why would she have it out for Alia? Why does she want to get revenge on Alia? I don't think it's revenge. I think it's just. I can do this to this other woman and I'm going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't really get anything out of it. It's just fun for me to fuck with people. And when I get called out in it and when something negative could happen to me. I play the victim. All she has to do is cry. Right. Yeah. Much like the ladies in. Selling Sunset. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I've been sitting in the living room for a couple of hours reading my book, whatever that happens to be. And you were watching uh, some Marvel shite for what felt like years. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It went on forever. It was never ending. Yeah. Seven seasons with like 22 episodes per season, except for the last two seasons, which were 13, which is still. (sighs) But then it stopped. Yeah. And then you left the room and I got to put on something, not that I wanted to watch, but something that wasn't Marvel. Right. And we ended up watching a, it was on, a documentary about a French woman killed in Ireland. Yes. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But then you've moved on to Selling Sunset, which is a kind of American version of Made in Chelsea or Towie. It's awful and it's full of like... Really awful, awful, Really dreadful people. Very awful people. Three seasons of that. 
Yeah, I'm done. <sighs> I'm 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 watching Emmy nominations and it's it, it's nominated in the unstructured reality television series right. category. So expect more <laughs> weird things that Helen watches just because they've been nominated for Emmys in the future. The thing is, everything gets nominated for an Emmy. I think we got nominated for an Emmy, didn't we? <laughs> A huge chunk of what got nominated for an Emmy this year are things I've already watched, like The Mandalorian and oh WandaVision and that show where Nicole Kidman wears a long coat and is married to Hugh Grant. Anyway. Who's a murderer. Spoiler alert. Our next, anyway. Our next storyline today. Jeez. You get hit by one title and you're just <laughs> completely lose your focus. Is tag teaming Eileen. <laughs> but not like that. On Monday, Sean catches Eileen as she comes out the house and after a bit of sweet talking and some humble pie, she agrees to give him his room back, especially after the undertaker's recommendation. He then gets a call from Carla. He's getting his job back. Everything's Ooh, coming up, Sean. Everything is coming up, Sean. So he's moving back into Eileen's when the undertaker comes along. Phase one complete and the undertaker leaves as Eileen arrives. Uh, and then Sean also starts referring to the undertaker to Eileen as Gentleman George. Gentleman George. And she does it he does it two or three times and makes him sound like a gigolo. Or some kind of Jack Daniels variant. <laughs> Either way, Eileen thinks it's weird. In the rovers, probably because of the gentleman George stuff, Eileen has twigged that she's been manipulated and as she berates the undertaker, he falls from the top rope, is DDT'd through a table and manages to break his wrist. What whoa. What whoa. Because Eileen is kind of bearing down on him right, as she shouts yeah. him and he's kind of backing up. Right, yeah. He's in his civvies at this point. He's not on the clock as a funeral director. Right. He's wearing a uh, very snazzy polo shirt. Yes. As he falls over a table. And breaks his breaks wrist. wrist. So on Wednesday, Eileen drops in to see if the undertaker needs a hand. Oh, what with his broken wrist in that? She means making tea or answering the phone, but he signs her up to pick up a cadaver from the hospital, a Mrs. Middleton, and we meet her weirdo son who sounds a bit like Alan Bennett and keeps saying, oh. And apparently this this tiny, tiny man had a very large mother and a very large grandfather, both who were wrestlers. Yeah, which The Undertaker isn't all that interested in, strangely <laughs> enough. <clears throat> but Eileen, throughout this uh, kind of arc going back however far mm. has always remarked about how uncomfortable she is with the idea of dead people yes because he's offered to give her the grand tour right and she's always refused because she no, doesn't want you. to see any, any dead people right but, or where they drain the dead people oh, there's a there's a sentence draining the dead people oh I watched all of Six Feet Under I'm fine with it <laughs> So she wants Nout to do any of this. Right. He's broken his wrist. And the first thing that she's got to do is go pick up a cadaver. Right. Yikes. So Eileen and the Undertaker are back from picking up the cadaver in a private ambulance, otherwise known as a black van. Mm -hmm. Because a plot in Eileen's bladder, they leave the van on the street where they go to Eileen's for lunch. And so she can go for a pish. But she's, right. but she's sure to lock it. Mm -hmm. And she's... The key fob over the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Beep, beep. Yep. Van's locked. So Eileen and the Undertaker share a lovely boothy, boothy lunch outside. There's scotch eggs. There's quiche. 
there's wee meatballs that are actually falafel. Mm. He asks her out on a proper date at some point in the future, and she says that she'll think about it. Why? But it looks like the answer is going to be a resounding yes. Oh. Then the undertaker and Eileen are stuffed and they head back out to take care of Mrs. Whatever, but thanks to Todd and another storyline, the van and the body, they're gone. Are gone. And there's this funny little... Car, weird, like red roadster thing. Right. But it looks like a toy car. Right. It looks like a little... Um, what do you call those? It wasn't a... Like a it was pedal? a cart. Yeah, a little pedal, a little pedal cart car. thing. The Undertaker is furious and blames Eileen and her fucking bladder. But she still has the key, so whoever stole this... Had to have had a key. Right. And with Todd being the only person with another key, Eileen gives him a call, but he dingies the call because he's still busy in another storyline. Eileen offers to get streetcars to keep an eye out, but the Undertaker reckons it's not streetcars that he needs, it's Zed cars. A little joke for the over 75s there. The Undertaker and Eileen have been driving about and they come back as Mrs Middleton's weirdo son is poking around outside the funeral parlour. The Undertaker is about to make his excuses when Todd comes back with the van and suggests that the weirdo goes hang out at Roy's Rolls for a bit while his mum is, I don't know, prepared? Is that the verb that you would use? Yes. The Undertaker is quietly furious about this. Mm -hmm. So in the funeral parlour, Todd claims that he was helping out a mate on an airport run and he forgot his passport and he had to go back and all this sort of stuff. And he didn't know that Mrs Middleton was in the back. The Undertaker still thinks this is a sackable offence until Todd and Eileen point out that the stiff through the back needs dressing and his wrist is still fucked. Mm. Later, Eileen gives a half-assed apology for the missing corpse stuff. The Undertaker is not impressed and is sorry that he and Eileen ever became embroiled. Fuck you and fuck your corpses, says Eileen. And they fall out yet again. Oh dear. For what, the fourth time? Fuck your corpses. Mm -hmm. That's my new metal band's name. (laughs) I think that's their uh, difficult second album. (laughs) Fuck your corpses. By the band Sunshine and Roses. <laughs> <laughs> on Friday, in Roy's Rolls, Eileen catches up with Undertaker asking him if he wants to go and see a film. What film then, says Undertaker, waiting for the punchline? The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. What what? He doesn't want to see it, and he doesn't see the funny side, and they end up bickering again. And when she leaves, Sean points out that this is Eileen's way of apologising. She's got to make a stupid joke first. Right, yeah. But if you stick with it, Right. Eventually, she will apologise. She's got her own song and dance. You have to follow. Right. The Undertaker goes round to see Eileen, but gets Mary, who explains why his choice of a bouquet of Hortensia Uh sends a message that he's frigid. Or that she's frigid. Right. She offers to help him make a better impression once she finds out that his intentions are of a kind of apologetic and romantic nature. Yes. So Mary has enticed Eileen home through the gunnel. Right, there's an emergency leak somewhere in the house. Right. It's not Welsh, though. (laughs) Where the undertaker has set up a romantic table for two in the backyard. This is the second alfresco meal that those two have shared in the backyard this Mm -hmm. week. And he's holding what's supposed to be an olive branch, but it's actually something else because they couldn't find an olive branch. Mm -hmm. So... Later on, the two of them are thinking up pun names for crematoriums. This was funny. Like creme de la creme. Creme de la creme. And not creme brulee. No. <clears throat> they apologise for their quickness to argue this week and to fall out. And the undertaker looks like he's about to ask her out, but ends up asking her 
back to work to help him out. Mm-hmm. And Island looks a little bit disappointed, but then agrees. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are we torturing... Both of these poor people. Right. With this kind of endless cycle of looking like they're going to get together and then something happens and it, it's usually the undertaker who loses his temper right, and yeah. his sense of perspective about things right. and starts shouting at Eileen about stuff. Right. Because Todd is a grown man. He shouldn't be blaming Eileen for Todd being a fuck up. Right. Especially Although, since he seems to really like her and really want to be in a relationship with her. But like at every opportunity to be all shouty and stuff, that's exactly what he does mm-hmm. and ruins his chances. It kind of makes it feel like, Eileen, please run the other way. It does a little bit that his temper is so out of control. That right, he... yeah, and weird. No wonder he's still single. No wonder. Mm-hmm. You got to watch out for those never married men who are in their like 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Who, are, who aren't members of Iron Maiden. Right. And who are definitely heterosexual. Yeah. There There's was, always a reason why they're still single. There was a strange uh, little plot device of that, though, where they stopped at Eileen so she could go and have a pish. Where they could have stopped at the funeral parlour right. and she could have had a pish. It is kind of weird that they just leave a dead body in the back of the van for hours and it's not on ice or anything no it doesn't look like it's a refrigerated van at all but it looks just like a regular van right that they've stenciled private ambulance over and it's summertime (laughs) and it's been unseasonably warm it's amazing that Eileen your scotch eggs are a little bit smelly (laughs) that's not the scotch eggs it's amazing that it took Todd so long to realise there was somebody in the back of there Mm -hmm. oh well we'll get to that yes we will so they're going to get together. I feel like we've said this before, though. <sighs> Who knows? Is this one of those things that never we just, happens? We just hope that eventually Eileen gets to smash exactly <laughs> like that, as opposed to Eileen smash. We've not had an Eileen smash for ages, and Gail's not around. Eileen smash George's wrist. We want him to. We want her to smash something else. Oh. In full technicolor. Yes. 70s Wava guitar. <laughs> In bright green. <laughs> Strangely explicit. <laughs> was this, this was a funny storyline, though, because the little guy who was uh, hanging about outside. Yeah. Uh, well, the I, most... just, I, I just want to see my mother one last time. It's so, you know, for some reason, now that she's dead, I really miss hanging out with her. I guess it's because, you know, the thing that annoyed me about her was her voice. Mm-hmm. Wah, wah. Take my wife, please. <laughs> yeah, apparently his gravy was too salty. Da, 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 da. It's like, <laughs> what is this? When did Coronation Street become... Vaudeville. <laughs> and now the comedy impressions of Max Wall. Kind of. Yeah, it's strange. But his, uh, this, this, I think, was the a little bit of light-hearted fluff, wasn't it? Yeah. It was fine. Nothing really bad happened this week, so I didn't a, really need a lighthearted. No, it was a bit of a nothing burger week. Yeah. Last week was a bit of a nothing burger as well, wasn't it? We or gotta be building before? up to something. Yeah. Moving on then, our next storyline this morning is Naked Weatherfield. See, this is also 
amusing. <laughs> is it? It's an amuse-bouche. Well, there's, there's parts of it that are exactly amusing, like but there's that. parts of it that are very red flag. Eh. We'll get there. On there Monday. were things that I thought were red flag that in the end kind of resolved themselves into becoming not red flags. On Monday, Curtis is opening the bistro and bumps into Steve with a baguette. Steve is holding the baguette. Curtis doesn't bump into Steve with the baguette. They chat about the charity stuff and Steve reveals that he's raised £96,000 for Oliver's fund wow. so far, but feels that the compassion fatigue is setting in and he's ready to give up. Mm. Would you give up on ninety-six grand? You wouldn't give up on ninety-six grand. It's arbitrary. Mm. An extra four grand doesn't really make any difference, but it kind of it, it finishes things off, doesn't it? Yeah. To have a fairly round number that's divisible suppose, by ten. I mean, if you've... If you've done a lot for one certain thing and you've tried every way to raise funds for it and you have like a limited number of people, I can, I can see where it wouldn't really matter the number. It'd just be like, all right, well, I've done this thing and I've done this thing and I've done this thing and I've done this thing. I can't really think of any other charitable ways to raise money for this thing. Right, so so you'd probably throw the four grand in yourself. You'd be looking at the number saying that it's nine, six, Two one six or whatever thing, mm-hmm. just for the sake of throwing in. Steve wouldn't though. Yeah, maybe not. Because Tracy would be mad. Anyway, he invites Curtis and Emma to dinner at Speeddal later, and later Curtis has naked men on his mind as he's chatting with Emma. He thinks that a local male nutty calendar will raise the four grand needed to push Steve's total over a hundred thousand, and Emma thinks that this is a lovely idea and not a red flag. He's way too keen on this. No. With her this dad. Is, With her dad. This is a thing, though. That's this, a thing. This is a thing that happens. Well, it used to happen. No, it still happens, especially with people who are not conventionally Yeah, a lot of things. It happened at my work. It happened at my work after uh, the full Monty. I wasn't participating in it. Sadly, my cock was too big. But the... <laughs> It wasn't. And I will cut that out. The, you will not cut that out. <laughs> so, the, um, but one department did mm-hmm. a naked calendar that some of my friends took part in. But it was all kind of, this is all very start of the 2000s. No, people still do it now. Do they? Yes. Hmm. Maybe not now during the pandemic, but I mean, that this is still very much a popular thing because it does... It does raise money and it does, it also raises news. You know, a lot of, um. Local newspapers do love the storyline. Right. Def- yes. right. Local newspapers love a storyline where somebody does something unconventional to raise money for mm-hmm. something else. And a little bit saucy. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they can make double entendres. Right. Yes. <laughs> At Speed Dull then, Curtis and Emma meet up with Tracy and Steve and float Curtis's nude men calendar idea and Tracy surprise surprise thinks it's a fabulous idea yes she does and thinks that it might inspire steve and others to go to the gym (laughs) steve's out he's not going to take part in this but he loves the idea and he gives him the green light yes outside curtis seems very keen for steve to be involved as it'll encourage others to get involved too or so he says Mm -hmm. emma will see what she can do even though this is now definitely weird as fuck well, it seems weird now, but then other things happen later on, which makes you think, oh, maybe not. And now it's time for a hard debate. <sighs> I 
posed a question on Twitter. What is Curtis's deal? Does he have the hots for Steve? Is he a naked calendar con man? This is fine or something else? I'm stuck between this is fine and something else because he doesn't have the hots for Steve. Because initially that's what I was thinking, but then something else is going to happen that we haven't talked about yet, which makes you think, oh no. So the hard debate was asked at this point. Okay. So at this point. Uh huh. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that he can't be a con man because we've already had the double glammy stuff. Right. That's still leaving a foul taste in our mouths, right? Right. He can't have the hots for Steve because, as you've pointed out many times, there's too many homosexual men in the show as it is. Thank you. So to have another one. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Well, that's not how you said it. Well, it's it's just it, it it feels like there's a ratio missing of 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 lesbians. Curtis <laughs> right. is definitely not a lesbian. He might be. Which kind of pushed me towards either this is fine, but for whatever reason we're making this out to be weird, or there's something else going on. And you were thinking that maybe he was trans, or somebody was somebody floated the idea that maybe he's trans. Right. But I don't know if that's because of just all the trans stuff going on in classic Corey at the moment. Right, yes. But there hasn't been a trans, a trans character. character in Coronation Street since since that. So, so maybe that is. But it doesn't look. But who does <laughs> look? <laughs> so anyway, our um, Twitter poll did think that there was something going on. Because mm-hmm. something else won out at 51.8%. So over half of the people who responded <laughs> think that there was something going on with Curtis. Right. Hots for Steve and Naked Calendar Call Man both got 14.5% with This Is Fine getting 193 So they seem to be kind of in the same camp as us, but more leaning towards there's something going on here. Right. But, I mean, we all just assume there's something going on because this is a soap opera. Oh, more sure. than anything, right? See, the thing that I thought and that was going Emma on... And poor Emma can't have a happy life. No. So the thing that I thought was going on is that he is futuristic Todd that's come back from the past <laughs> in a Terminator style. On Wednesday, Emma rushes into Steve. No, she doesn't. Emma runs into Steve and Roy's roles. The naked calendar thing is definitely set to be a thing. She tries to talk him into joining, thinking that it's going to encourage others. But he thinks folk will want more of the young team, so he declines. Mm-hmm. Curtis seems determined, again, to get Steve involved. So he entices Steve to the bistro and tells him that Dev is penciled in for December and this predictably puts Steve's nose out of joint, giving Christmas to Dev. And so Dev, and so, what's his name? Steve. And so, and so Curtis, who barely knows Steve or Dev, succeeds in getting Steve to sign up to all the nakedness. Right, yeah, so that he can be Mr. December because mm-hmm. apparently he makes a nice, he looks good in well, a Santa hat. apart from that, which I'm sure he does, can you imagine that face underneath the Santa hat? Sure, it works. But it gives it a it's sense of closure. It's going to be a really long beard. That he's closing off the calendar. Yes. That makes sense, right? He either yes. opens it or he closes it. Right. Meanwhile, Emma and Curtis are working on Dev. But not like that. He's still burned about stripping off for Tara Mandal, so he passes. Once again, by suggesting one-upmanship and flattery, they're able to convince Dev to take part. They do this with all of the men. It's hilarious. It's the same thing. Except for... Tim. No, no, no. They have to do it to Tim too. Because they say to Tim, oh, that that Kev 
said that he knew he was gonna you know be a chicken about this interestingly the only person who really doesn't need to be talked into it is james who seems to be the only one of the young guard oh no wait they're getting adam and imran too aren't they we're getting way ahead of ourselves please no (laughs) so this is a funny thing that i think you did this was funny right yes it was when this was floated (laughs) i i i posted my pick (laughs) <laughs> or, or the talk of the street pick. Right. Not necessarily my pick. Yes. Of January Imran, February Imran, March Imran, <laughs> April Imran, May Imran, June Imran, July Imran, August Imran, September Imran, October Adam, November Imran, and December Imran. And Charlie DeMello, would you believe, liked that tweet. Right. And then people assumed that it was me mm-hmm. what tweeted that. Right. You'd which, think. Fair enough. <laughs> Only I would take Adam out. <laughs> it would just be a run. <laughs> now, Curtis and Emma are working on Tim, and it seems to be that little Tyrone is Tim's trigger <laughs> to get involved when they point out that Ty predicted that Tim would bottle it, even though Ty did no such thing. Mm. Tim, I think this is now the second time... Oh, it was time Tim who... Yeah, it was, it was Ty who said he would bottle it. Who uh, he refers to as little Tyrone. Mm. On Friday... Brian is hiding from Emma and Amy because he thinks that they want him to get his cock out for this calendar thing. And it also seems that all this talk of geriatric Bobby is making Emma regret taking things slow with Curtis. <laughs> Meanwhile, Curtis is trying to sign James up for the Bobby bonanza. James pretends to be a bit of a prima donna with his demands and you'll have to speak to my agent and I'll need a rider. But eventually he comes clean because as well as being a creepy fucker, Curtis is also humourless. Right. With James agreeing, Curtis notices that he has 13 models instead of 12 and he rushes off to sort it. Okay, so who does he have? Steve? Dev? Chesney? Don't say it like that. (laughs) Adam and Nimran. Tim. Did I say Tim already? I think so. Dev? I said Dev. Tyrone? Tyrone, yep, yep. Kev, have we said Kev? We said Kev, but maybe. Maybe some for Where does he have 13? Who's. How many. Are there 13 men on the street? If they got James, did they get Michael too? Ed? <laughs> I think Ed would be fine. Ronnie. Oh. Oh, yeah. Ronnie's a gatefold. See, Ronnie would be my October amidst all the Imrans. Because Ronnie is a very handsome man. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm just sitting here being the whitest man in the world, for sure. Well, see, that's why I would take Adam out, because I get... Not making it any better. I get enough Scottish Bobby. <laughs> I don't I don't need any more. I know what that looks like. Yeah. Checked that box. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Gav is as red as his shirt now. I really am. And I'm wearing a red shirt. <laughs> So Curtis notices it has 13 models instead of 12 and he rushes off to sort it and Emma, who wants her whole, will have to wait. At Chesney's, he finds a note suggesting that Gemma is very keen for him to be in this calendar. She really does. Get ready to be manscaped, it says. <laughs> but then Curtis comes along keeping, uh, Curtis comes along looking to cut him from the lineup because he's got too many, he's oversubscribed and right. Ches is actually fine not to take part in this. <coughs> and then Curtis creepily asks Ches for some Emma tips regarding the procurement of one's whole. Yes. That was weird as well. What is it with this guy? Well, see, it's because, you know, Emma wanted to take it slow. So 
Apparently, apparently. I get that, but you don't ask fucking Chesney. Well, Chesney dated Emma, so, so he what? would know. He would he would have some sound advice, and he can't ask Seb anymore. He doesn't know these people. Right, but Chesney is the only alive ex-boyfriend Emma has on the street. Well, no, he could ask David, but you know David. He didn't exactly take it slow. Is David in this camera calendar? Anyway. (laughs) It seems that everyone apart from Brian is in it. Emma finally catches up with Brian. With his little... (laughs) What's it? With his little what? (laughs) What's that stick that... Truncheon. (laughs) Truncheon. Yeah, but there's a funnier name than Truncheon, isn't there? Is there? Like his, his little billy club. Is it Billy Club? I think Nobody Billy calls Club. it that. I think they may have called it that here. There's a little hat. Hello, hello, hello. What's all this? What's all this now? Anything you say may be taken down. <laughs> Knickers. <laughs> I can't believe I got a laugh. Oh, broken hell. I think it's the use of the word knickers. Sure. Instead of pants. Oh, yes, it's no mistake. Pants. Hunder pants would have been better. Knickers just work so well. I think that's the funny part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know what we're doing. So Emma finally catches up with Brian, but it turns out that she doesn't want to see his penis or his two testicles. Rather, she wants Brian to be the or photographer of other people's penis and testicles. Brian is happy to oblige, and the shoot is tomorrow. Apparently, he's really good with a camera. That are Brian. Mm-hmm. Did we know this about Point Brian? And shoot. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Gemma is furious when she turns up to shout at Curtis for cutting chairs, and Emma, who's turned up with a little uh, pink, fluffy, fluffy pen, suggests that they have one month with two people in it. Right. Which is supremely intelligent <laughs> from from Emma. And then no one needs to be cut. And then Gemma goes off to wax every inch of Chesney's body, which allows Emma to have a word with Curtis now. Maybe Adam and Imran would be together because they're the two lawyers, so they could be standing behind their desks. Like a well-placed stapler. (laughs) (laughs) A well-placed squeaking stapler. They just have the one stapler, though, so they'd have to be really close together. They'd have to be practically touching. I'm painting a picture here. I'm not sure I want to continue. I'm sure a number of our re- our listeners would prefer you to continue. Why is Gemma so keen to wax Chesney, though? So, a, a bit of hair is good. I enjoy a bit of chest hair. <laughs> You'll have to bring this up with, with these fictional characters. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't help you. So, Curtis thinks that he's about to be dumped. But Emma makes it clear that this isn't what she wants to talk to him about. Rather, she'd quite like to get her hold of him. All right, says Curtis. Yes. So Emma says, I'll see you in ten minutes. Like, yeah. Don't bring your clothes. Yes, clothes optional. He's like, can I bring anything? And she's like, clothes optional. And she goes off quite happy. Yes. And he seems quite happy as well. So that's good. Because he's not getting dumped. Yes, he's getting his hole. He really hasn't been in a relationship. Remember when, at the start, he seemed to be this outrageously handsome man who is terrible with women yeah it was that thing that he was pretending to be right but he's not but pretending it, doesn't. it seems to be that he is genuinely awful with women is he like homeschooled or something See, i think this is where the the potential trans was thing he, is coming from that he, he hasn't had a girlfriend before yeah but 
you'd think that he would be less keen to take his clothes off, maybe. Oh. If that's if that's his secret. Um maybe he was brought up in a cult? That's <laughs> guess you number have two. Cults in the UK? Yeah. You must have cults in the mm-hmm. UK. They're just not as weird as ours. Or maybe they're even weirder. There's less guns involved. Well. <laughs> Usually the only difference that, between... That, that, yeah, that's basically the difference between our two countries. Anyway, mm-hmm. there's less guns involved. We have to be more creative with our uh, weapons of violence. Yes. That's cheery. <laughs> right, so this uh, calendar thing, I'm quite looking forward to how they're going to do it. Because Me too. This is essentially dressing people up. Right, but, but instead of, of dressing people up... We're dressing them down. But they're going to have something like Steve with a, with a Christmas hat on. And, right. And I don't know, we've already seen Tyrone's <coughs> ridiculous photograph. Right. But maybe so, he's going to reenact so, that except, yeah, for his, except for his balls hanging with, out. With, you know, that wrench really well placed, that mm-hmm. really large wrench that he has. Right. Maybe. Phallically held already. Mm-hmm. So all we have to do is maybe Photoshop that a little bit. And we've already got <laughs> April taken care of. <laughs> But yeah, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And it's happening next week because it's said tomorrow, so that must be that must be what's happening. Um, I'm going to enjoy this. Kind of looking forward to that. Because this is, this is fun. It right? is fun. Because all it took for the whole Kev uh, stag party was for people to dress up as Kev. Right. And it's a success. Yes. It's all anybody wants. <laughs> but Kev this, from his time when he was a member of the village people. Right. This Curtis thing, though, is still very... It's playing on me. Mm. He has some kind of right, thing Right, because we on. don't know what it is. And we don't There's know what There's something happening and we don't know what it is. There's something happening here. Okay. What it is ain't exactly clear. Our next storyline this morning then is Fizzbomb 84. <laughs> oh, I remember Fizzbomb 84. Mm. I think I, I headlined Fizzbomb 85. Mm. But it wasn't the same. It was very muddy. Yeah. On Monday, Fizz... Who does work at the factory? Yes. Remember, she got her job back at the factory. She had the furniture thing. Right. But she's also working at the factory as well because she needs money because Tyrone's not living at home anymore. This confused the hell out of me because I thought, what's Fizz doing in the factory? She seems to be helping herself to the no, coffees and remember, milk. remember, Alina got Sarah to hire Fizz to do work. Remember? Oh, right. Right. How could you forget that? So anyway, she's complaining to Beth about Alina and Beth thinks that she needs to get back, back. Yay. Yay. back out there and recommends lying through her teeth on this dating app. Mm-hmm. Fizz, though, decides to be honest and describes herself as a single mum dumped for a younger model. There's a deafening bang as a line of eligible men crash into the factory door. <laughs> Fizz is encouraged to change her honest profile, but then gets a bite from the honest one, somebody who appreciated this honesty. And Fizz, forgetting that whole state business, is keen to arrange a meet-up for dinner. At home, Fizz runs this whole thing by Evelyn, who gives it the green light. Drag a comb through your hair and go for it. Maybe shave your legs while you're at it. <laughs> then Fizz arrives at the bistro to meet her date, but it's a catfish. And the guy is actually a female journalist wanting to write an article about women being ditched for younger models. Mm-hmm. Men need to be called out for this, says the, um, the journalist, who's called Chris. Who's conveniently named Chris. Right. So it works. She can be anonymous if she likes to be. Because uh-huh. Fizz has been going by Fizzbomb 84 during this. Right. Then on Wednesday at the factory, Beth and Kirk are quizzing Fizz about her date last night. 
She keeps it as private as she can, saying it wasn't quite what she expected. Never mind, says Kirk. There's plenty more pastries in the box. And Beth nabs the eclair. Roy's rules, Fizz explains the date to Maria, but Maria thinks that this might be therapeutic to get it off her chest. And Fizz is like, I don't need to get anything off my chest. She's mm-hmm. fine with this. She wants to tell the world that she's not sitting around moping over Tyrone fucking Dobbs. And this seems to, yeah, maybe Fizz is going to do this after all. So the bistro, Fizz and the report meet up. She agrees to be part of the story. She's sick of being the victim and she starts down a poignant speech only to be mm. shut down because the reporter's pen doesn't work. That was quite funny. Yes. Then Fizz is slowly getting plastered on the vino and she starts to air her dirty laundry to the reporter. Mm. She wouldn't go back with Tyrone if he begged. This is her second chance. And while she probably wouldn't have uh, left him, you know, they were comfortable mm. together, she's pouncing on this opportunity. And it's yes. almost like she starts to believe herself. Yes, which is nice. It does feel like it's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. There's still a bit of, when she says that at the end, though, there's still a little bit of her that you think she's just, these are words. This is something that she doesn't quite properly feel yet. Mm-hmm. And on Friday, in Roy's Rolls, Fizz is with Maria and she's fretting about the article and people working out that it's about her. Maria tells her that it's Tyrone who should be the one who's ashamed. Maria thinks this is brilliant. Fizz takes some heart from this encouragement. Then in the factory, Kirk is reading the paper in the article about Fizz and he works out that it's about Fizz, but she pleads ignorance. Kirk was worried the press were going to be... We're going through our bins again. Right. Well, Lena catches wind of something going on, but everyone else in the factory is like, oh no, there's nothing There's nothing happening here. Right. It's, it, it's pretty well not made anonymous enough if Kirk can figure it out. <laughs> and work it out quickly. Yes. Whilst also talking about horoscopes. Right. He doesn't and like surprises. No. <laughs> he doesn't like spoilers. So Alina must read the article herself because next she's accusing Fizz of suggesting that she deliberately stole Tyrone and broke up a family when that wasn't the case. If the shoe fits, you two-faced boot, says Fizz. Right. And she just leaves her to it. And the rovers, Alina tells Tyrone about this Peter Pan syndrome story. Ty tells her not to get worked up about it, but when a passing Eileen calls them both Peter and Wendy, uh. Alina tells Tyrone that uh, he needs to do something to sort this shit out. Right. And she's becoming quite animated and overheated about it. Right, yeah. It's like neither one of them, up until this point, have realized just how awful they are. <laughs> right. You know, it's like it's taken this article. <laughs> like, no, we are not these people, although they actually really are these people. It is. It's the old adage of holding a mirror right. up to them, right? This is what the article is doing. Right. Because it doesn't... It, it really doesn't sound like... You know, the, the the only thing that they, they seem to really be taking exception to this whole Peter Pan thing and, you know, robbing the cradle and everything, which mm-hmm. pe- lots of people have already said to both of them. Right. But because it's like a news article, it, yeah, it makes print, it more real. Some black and white right, there it is. Yeah. And it's also something, it's a narrative that you have no control over. Right. It's out there and you, you yeah. can't do anything about it. Right. He tries to, but well, we'll get, we'll get, we'll to, get that. to that. So Tyrone goes to the furniture thing to shout at Fizz, but she remains calm throughout while a customer hides from the awkwardness in a wardrobe. Yes, and for some reason doesn't get to Narnia. <laughs> no. Ty thinks this is revenge, but Fizz says that she did this for her, and if she had no consideration for Ty, she doesn't need to anymore. Right, That's Elena's yeah. job. Right. And besides, all of it is true. Which part of this is wrong? Right. And when Tyrone leaves in a huff, the customer steps out and offers his sympathies to Fizz. He's been in a similar situation with his ex-wife. Mm. 
Tyrone... And is going to buy the wardrobe. Right. Tyrone, who doesn't work at the factory, is at the factory now telling Alina that Fizz isn't the revenge type and maybe we should just let this all sort of blow over. Right, which it will. But Alina wants the record set straight. Right. And set straight now. She's like, people are looking at me and giving me funny looks and it's like... Sweetheart, sweetheart. they've been doing that for weeks. (laughs) You just now realise that? It's not the article. Girlfriend. Seriously. This shit's been happening for weeks now. Right, yeah. And it didn't take an article for people to be laughing behind their hands. Burn! So time. I don't know why. That, was, did a, that. that was a burn. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Served. So Tyrone meets up with Daniel in the Rovers. You got to wonder how the, the kind of genesis of that meeting that Tyrone phones Daniel and says, Who are you? It's it's not the only weird pairing we get this week. And why do you want to meet in the Rovers? And could my voice go up any higher? It's like whenever anybody wants to put something in the paper, they call poor Daniel. So Tyrone reveals that he wants Daniel to write a response piece from his point of view to the whole Peter Pan thing. Daniel thinks, thinks this is an awful idea. Yes, and says, he says you guys might not see this from your perspective, but the two of you really are the bad guys. You're not the good guys of this story. No, and it's best not to make a big deal out of it. Right. Thanks for nothing, says Tyrone. So Fizz is locking up the furniture thing when the bloke from earlier comes back, and despite the two of them just getting out of kind of nasty ending mm-hmm. relationships, he asks her out for a drink. Fizz closes the door to lock up the furniture thing. With a little smile on her face. Yes, she and it's does. it's clear that she's going to agree to this. Yes, she is. And this is lovely. It is nice. And I don't know if it's just something that's happened this week or if we've been leading up to it, but there's been like a marked change in how Fizz appears on the show. Yes. I mean, she's dressed smarter. Right. She's looking far more confident. Yes, she doesn't look as harried. Her um, response to... Um, confrontations with Tyrone and Alina are very much she's in control but she's measured and she's not shouting. She's not being a harpy anymore. And they've done this fizz. Yeah. I can totally buy into it. Absolutely. When I I was like before I wasn't sure you know if there was a a bad side to this or it was a kind of everyone sucks here situation. Mm -hmm. After this I'm totally team fizz. Yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I mean I was always team fizz but you know, it's just Daniel's right. And I don't say that very often. You know, they are not the heroes of this story. And the fact that both of them, Alina especially, seems to think that they are and that this is completely unfair. Nobody likes to, this could be about anything though. Nobody wants to hear that you're not the hero of your own story. Right. <laughs> but the fact that people have been say, kind of saying this to her. All along, well, you took a married man. That's not cool, mm-hmm. or not a married man, but may as well. Right? You, blo- you, know. you split up a family, yes. right? Yeah, that's certainly true. And you've got fucking Ruby staring at a wall for the best part of right. two minutes last week. And while you may not have quote unquote meant to, you did do it. Yeah, whether you, you meant to or not, you could have shut that down. The fact is, you did do it. Yeah, you could have shut that down. All along the way, mm-hmm. you could have been shutting that down. And you didn't shut it down. You kept opening the door, right. so to speak. 
where do you think this is going to go with uh, Fizz and the Wardrobe Guy? Is this going to become a thing? He seems to have moved into the area. Mm-hmm. Balaclava Terrace he's on now. Yes. Just around the corner. Right. He, so, seems, he seems nice. does seem nice. Is it, is it John Kenna? Is his name in real life? I'm not sure. He's been in a number of movies. He looks very familiar. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's going to be the sort of guy that's going to propose a naked calendar anytime soon. But no. I don't he know if that's nice. a bad thing necessarily. He seems nice. He looks nice. Mm-hmm. And the two of them, there seemed to be a little bit of instant chemistry there. Between right. The two well, of them. you know, I think a lot of that has to do with them both getting out of very similar situations. And that kind of worries me a little bit. But codependency, maybe. Yeah. But this is not a relationship for Fizz Forever. to... Yeah. Right. This is get back on the, the on bike. On the horse. And... And, and, learn, ride. And, and learn how to have some fun again. Right. And maybe get your hole. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference now is that she is well and good over Tyrone. That seems clear. Yeah. That's, but especially the baby thing. It's just... She's written him off. She is no longer in love with him. And that's been the change. And she's, I think that's good. She's still telling the story, though, like... Oh, there's and another thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she's if she's a hundred percent over it. But I think she is. I think she's kind of oh, and another thing, just to just to get it's 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 annoying and it's bad, but she doesn't want Tyrone back anymore. She may be still upset about it, but she doesn't want him back anymore. And I think that's the key. Yes, I think that's it. Our penultimate storyline this morning is no show Sam Sham. <laughs> what? You heard. No show, Sam Sham. I can't say it twice. I, are Friday. you being culturally inappropriate there with that? No, Sam was a no show and it was a sham. Okay. What are you suggesting? <laughs> Just a few scenes on Friday. This is total filler stuff. Hmm. Nick has exciting news from Natasha. Sam was supposed to have a sleepover with her mate, but it's fallen through, so he's going to be staying with Nick and Leanne because Natasha's already made uh, plans to, I don't know, go to that London. Hmm. Anything that she can do to get away from Sam, basically. <laughs> so Nick rushes off to get some supplies. Right. <laughs> Supply? No. Nick has gone overboard with stuff, including a new blender. <laughs> when Leanne points out that the old one's still fine. But, oh, but Sam likes Sam likes smoothies. smoothies. And maybe it needs two to be made simultaneously. <laughs> He's desperate to prove to Natasha that Sam will be safe and happy with him and Leanne. And if that means buying superfluous blenders, then so be it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Natasha? Natasha. Natasha comes round with some bad news. Sam's sleepover that was cancelled has been reinstated, so he won't be staying after all. And she hadn't even told Sam that had been cancelled in the first place right. because she wanted to surprise him. And it was so cute. Nick was baking cookies for Sam. Mm-hmm. He had this oh. wee oven glove on his and everything. I love that. She could smell the cookies from outside. Yes. That'll be that'll be Nick's page in the calendar. Him holding a, a strategically placed tray of cookies with oven mitts on. Or maybe with the oven... And a little apron. Maybe the oven glove over his, uh, his member and his hands behind his head. Maybe. No. Nope. I like it with a little frilly apron and the tray of cookies in a more domestic scene. Yeah. <laughs> Works for me. So, 
smell you later, says <laughs> Natasha, and off she fucks. Leanne tells Nick later that there will be other sleepovers, and it's not like Sam is bored of them yet. Plans change. Get over it. Right. But Nick is still sad about it. Yeah. And it's cute, and it's sweet. And, and it seems like Leanne's really supportive of this. Natasha's quite flighty, isn't she? She is. She chops and changes her mind about things. She tries to give this impression that she's a really grounded uh, success, that she's mm-hmm. a she's a boss and she orders people out. But her she chops and changes her mind all the time. She's been uh, Sam's kidnapping and getting shot at. Kind of gets forgotten about whenever she needs childcare. I don't know if this is how we're supposed to be seeing her, but this is the way that it's kind of presenting itself to me. Mm. Well, you can be a little bit flighty in your personal life and then be very, very type A in your mm. business life. So That's the second time you've mentioned type A. I'm going to have to go look that up now. <laughs> you uh, don't know what a type I A is? I do, I do. Okay, yes. you had me worried. Our final storyline this morning is Where There's a Will. <laughs> On Monday. At the funeral parlour, a guy in high vis comes in and speaks with Todd. His maybe, ma- maybe not. Maybe not the best title card for a week where we have a naked calendar pop up. Feel it's a, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. <laughs> see what you're doing there. So this guy's mate, Alki Mate, has died, and he and a few fellow bin men mates have had a whip round and have pulled together seven grand in cash for the funeral. He throws down a brown envelope that has the answer to Todd's problems written on it in capital letters. Mm. So the bloke pays in cash and goes for the funeral of the month that Todd offers. Todd puts two grand in the petty cash and then hides the rest in a display urn just as the undertaker comes in from another storyline. Mm-hmm. There's lots of crossing over between storylines in this. Yes. Todd spins the Undertaker line that he's oversold Matty's funeral by five grand because he's such a nice guy and he promises to cover the extra expenses himself but the Undertaker is so impressed about this community spirit he picks up the difference himself. Todd calls Will and tells him that he has his money. Mm. It's in that urn. Mm-hmm. Later, Todd spots that the urn with the cash is missing and starts tearing the place up looking for it until the Undertaker comes in and tells him that Mr Hendricks has taken it. And Mr Hendricks is described as a Somewhat of an underworld type figure. Yeah, Kind a of baddie, a bit of a gangster. And there's confusion there that I don't really understand, but it seems that this dead gangster's ashes has been mixed up with a dead horse's or something, and Todd promises to fix it. But before he can, gangster dad Hendrix comes in with the urn that's been given to him by mistake, he realises, mm-hmm. but there's no money in it. Right. And Todd knows that he can't say anything about it and has to let this five grand slip through his hands. And the gangster knows right, that, that five, Todd knows. Yes. And milks it for all it's worth. Yes, he really does. And I I'm love it. Chuckling away good style. Oh, loving it. At the bistro, Todd is called by Billy to celebrate Will and his mum finding a new place to live. Oh. And I thought, oh, we're going to see Will's mum. No. And we don't. Then, apropos of nothing, Billy announces that the church is buying a seven grand heat pump. And it's being delivered tomorrow. And Todd's like, oh, this is the second thing that's been costing seven grand that's happened today. Privately, Todd has to tell Will that he doesn't have his money after all. Never mind, says Will, and points out that that stupid heat pump plot device thing that Billy just mentioned. You'll have to nick that then, won't you? Or beans will be spilled. Hmm. On Wednesday, Todd is on the phone to a mate about getting use of a van when Billy and Summer come in at the flat disturbing him. Summer arranges to meet Will and Todd makes it clear that he doesn't approve of this setup. Billy says, well, we can't stop her seeing who she likes. 
Right. Unless his name is Paul. Exactly. What a fucking hypocrite you are, Billy. Oh, yeah. Or maybe you just don't remember things that you said a day ago. Mm. At the shop, Dev has just finished doing a shite. And when he comes out to serve Billy and Paul, and he makes clear that he's washed his, wash hands. his hands, but just give it five minutes. <laughs> he points out to Paul that his rent is late. And so Paul checks his bank account and finds that he hasn't been paid. And so he's end up overdrawn. Oh, pig's tits. I'm going to go and fucking sort this out. I didn't realise that Dev owned Daniel and Paul's yeah. flat. He's a landlord. Yeah. We only are asked to remember that when... When it's convenient. Exactly. So, Ed's on the phone to his supplier because the heat pump thing has been delivered to his yard by mistake and not to the Archdeacon's parsonage. Right. Handy. Mm. Paul comes over and quizzes Ed about his wages and Ed is rather blasé about it because Paul is just casual labour and you'll get paid when I get paid. So Paul is like, fuck you, call me when you've sorted that out and he downs tools. Then Will who doesn't work at the funeral parlour, shows up at the funeral parlour for his money. Todd ropes Will into helping him nick the heat pump thing and Will wants another 500 for it if he's going to be involved mm-hmm. in the actual theft of it. And so they shake, weirdly. Yeah. Will holds out his left hand and offers to shake, uh-huh. which Todd doesn't say, well, that's fucking weird. Why are we shaking with our left hand? Uh-huh. Offers his left hand with engagement ring, which Will, it's like a master up. magician, cleverly conceals... Yeah. And nicks the ring off Todd's finger. Yeah. Will and Will and Sam are running the the gangster unit in the in Weatherfield, aren't right. they? Yeah. They're the two mm-hmm. bosses of the underworld. Will reports into Sam Cle- <laughs> clearly, right? So Todd is hanging around as Ed and Billy chat about the installation of this pump, which is set for today, and Billy notices that Todd's ring is missing. And I like that. And he quickly lies and says that it's getting resized with some poppers or something. I don't know. <laughs> How do you know what a popper is? I'll tell you later. <laughs> well, people used to take it for uh, for other reasons. <laughs> you kind of got high off of it. As well as it doing things to your sphincter. Todd Nabs will... See, this is uh, educational. <laughs> How do you know what it does to your sphincter? Well, you take it to get high, and then as a consequence, you're... Anyway, as Allah would just equalise against Livingston. Moan the wasps. <laughs> so Todd nabs Will and Rose nice rolls... Right. Where's my fucking ring, you twat? No more games. And Will reveals... No more games, says Todd. Mm. Will has his ring on his necklace. Todd ring. Call it insurance until I get my cash, says Will. I really like the cut of this kid's jib. Yes. He's completely outplaying Todd here. And yes. it's wonderful. Todd actually shows what passes for emotion. This ring is the only thing that means anything to me, he's about to say, but doesn't. He manages to stop himself. And Todd tells Will of the change of plan, but he pulls out. Your plan's shite. And I like that. It's broad daylight on a busy street. I want none of it, says Will. Yeah. So Todd's mate with a van lets him down, so instead he and steals... He's not wrong. It's, right, this is a stupid weird, idea. It's weird that... It's weird not only that they're going to somehow steal this thing this enormous thing this big enormous thing thing. and sell it where are they finding a buyer for this well first of all there's always somebody who wants to buy an enormous heavy clumsy thing (laughs) eco-friendly heating pump broad daylight on a busy street nobody noticed this nobody's going to notice this van pulling up to the i'm not sure of what 
kind of time traveling is going on here or or any sort of dimension shifts or time ones, uh, but there's something. And there's no in. CCTV right outside the yard. You'd think that the yard would have CCTV within it. I think it, I think it has done in the past. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> have we forgotten this? Did Gary take it with him? Right. So Todd's mate with the van lets him down, so he steals the Undertaker's private ambulance that we've already described as a black van from mm. another storyline. Ed is about to get working on shifting the heat pump when Todd prank calls him, offering a shitload of money on an emergency job on the other side of town. Todd doesn't even bother putting on an accent, just talks slightly deeper and sounds totally like Todd. With Ed gone, Todd turns up with wire cutters and his special slinking hat, but the yard is unlocked so he can just slink in without having to damage anything. But Ed, realising that he's left the place unlocked, comes back, forcing Todd to hide behind the enormous pump. Ed is suspicious for some reason, steps into he the yard, a noise. calling out to whoever's there, but Todd keeps and keeps hidden until Ed drives away. Todd loads, loads the pump into the back of the van on his own, uh, yeah, and alongside somehow, uh, the late Mrs. Middleton. Right. How did both of those things fit in the back of the... <laughs> did, did he take her out, put the heating pump in, and then put her on top of it? In broad daylight on a busy street. Sure. None of this makes any sense. <laughs> it's so dumb. Ed comes back and unloads on Michael about the fake job and wasting his time. And now, wouldn't you fucking know it? Somebody's broken into his yard and nicked that stupid pump thing. Meanwhile, Paul has necked five tins of beer on the red wreck. What a weird number of b- beer to buy. Five tins of beer, please. Maybe it was a six pack and he just hasn't gotten to the sixth one yet. He didn't have it on him. Maybe he gave it to somebody Or maybe it was nice. a four pack and he took another. That's weird. Who knows? It's like buying 13 beers. Who would buy 13 beers? Did buy a 12 with, pack. And somebody then, with 12 friends. So he's chatting about this to David, who is more into shortbread tins these days. And the two of them go to the Rovers for a pint on David due to Paul's five beer money worries. Mm-hmm. Then PC Tinker's at the yard taking Ed's statement. He drops Paul in it, Ed that is, thinking that this could be revenge for the payroll thing. But no, surely Paul wouldn't do a thing like that to me. Yeah, why even mention it if you know surely Paul couldn't have possibly done this? With the pump nicked and stored, Will wants his money, but Todd needs to unload it. And Will's threats aren't having the same effect now that Todd thinks Will has the hots for summer. Tell if you want, but she'll hate you, says Todd. And he tells Will to be patient. Then PC Tinker comes into Rovers looking for Paul. David calls him Tinks. I've told you not to call me that when I'm on duty <laughs> David continues to wind See, Craig up Calling him Sherlock and Basil the Great Mouse Detective that Craig is secretly a homosexual <laughs> Craig says that this detective thing wasn't for him So I think that's dead now It was mentioned and now it's dead That's my assumption Either now. that or he just really doesn't like the Great Mouse Detective <laughs> Well nobody does Paul joins in with a mockery and PC Tinker's getting no respect at all so ends up lifting a drunken Paul and taking him down to the station about this. Right, yeah, it probably would have just blown over and he would have said, right, fair enough, you want, you know, because David says to him, he's been on the red wreck all day. Mm -hmm. There's no way Mm -hmm. he did this. Right. So if Paul just hadn't been disrespectful to PC Tinker, then none of this would have happened. happened. And plus PC Tinker. And it's weird that once he gets him down to the station, nobody says, well, this is ridiculous. He obviously didn't do it. Look at the guy. Right. And it's also weird that it isn't uh, 
PC thinker that's doing an interview. Right. And it's it's weird that they're even interviewing him in a dark, <laughs> again, scary room. Again, we're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. So Todd and Billy are loitering outside the florist, Billy moaning about the stolen pump. Todd saying the insurance will cover it as they watch PC Tinker load a protesting Paul into the back of the police car and Billy makes that face. Yes, he does. On Friday, Todd gets up to find that Will slept on the couch last night and it's it's and the couch has eaten uh, Will's Weddy County lighter. Oh, Will's a smoker, is he? Someone is in a reflective mood, musing that Paul is innocent and is always the first to get the blame for everything. This isn't fair. Meanwhile, Paul has been interviewed by the scariest policeman in Weatherfield, who looks like he's done time himself. Yes. And you're right, because the lighting is all very line of of duty. Right. It's like, why? It's it's a heating pump. (laughs) They're more concerned about this heating pump than people threatening Cassie's life online. Indeed. The coffer knows that Paul was arguing with Ed about money, but Paul maintains his innocent stance, and he's released without charge, and then determined to find out who stitched him up. So Paul confronts Ed, who insists all he was doing was telling the truth. You wouldn't want me to lie, would you? He promises he has Paul's back, but his reaction makes things worse for himself. And furious, Paul goes off to blame Will, but Summer has Will's back, and again suggests that Paul is the creator of his own problems with his stinking attitude. What a fucking turncoat Summer has become. It's because she and she and Will are are slowly becoming more than friends. Mm-hmm. Yes. He slept over. Slept yes. on the couch, though. Slept on the couch. Still. Mm. Sorry, Addy. I guess you're just going to have to date Amy like I wanted you to all along. <laughs> all along. <laughs> Form your own detective agency and buy a Great Dane. And Talk. a van. Todd goes back home and finds Will's lighter down the sofa. Not sure why Will couldn't find it. And then he calls PC Tinker looking for some advice. Paul is now nursing his bad mood in Roy's rolls when he gets a call from Will wanting to meet him in half an hour. But Todd has heard the call from Will's side. They're standing in the ginnel and he wants a little chat of his own. So back at the flat, Will's conscience has now got the better of him. And because he, wants, he likes summer. Right, and he wants to come clean. But Todd has Will's lighter and threatens to plant it at the builder's yard. Will says, well, what's stopping me planting your ring? But uh-huh. not like that. Bravo, Will. Yes. What we have here is a Mexican standoff. Right. And yet, it's just a Weathy County lighter. It could be anyone's. Anybody's, right. It's not as distinctive as that ring is. Mm-hmm. So Paul meets Will in the community garden, but rather than confess, Will apologises for messing his life up, but recommends that Paul starts taking responsibility for his own shit in the future. <laughs> this is coming from Will. And maybe this sort of thing will stop getting between him and Summer. Ex fucking excuse me, says Paul. Well, the only reason he always do it is because Todd is looming right there over Paul's shoulder. Right, but the fact that Will's Looking telling like him Sam that... Looking like Sam watching a funeral. Maybe if, maybe if your attitude was a bit better, Paul, none of this would be happening, says the kid who's been the fucking architect of all this. And Roy's rolls, Alex is back. So good to see Alex back. It is good and to see Alex back. And they gave him some good back. lines this week they as well. Did. It was funny. They did. He was delightful. And Paul reflects on Will's words. He's lost Billy, maybe lost his job. He's determined not to lose Summer. So David decides to throw him a bone and offers him Gail's job at the barbers. Right. Sweeping up. He's not going to give him... A, I'll give a, you a trial <laughs> to see how you work out. It's sweeping shit up. And running the register. So Todd has managed to sell the heat pump to webuyanyheatpump.com. <laughs> but he stiffs Will out of a grand. 
As Todd takes a call, Will sneakily sets up his phone behind a fern to record the scene. And after the call, Will contrives a conversation where Todd admits to setting up Paul, paying Will to make Paul lose his job, split up Paul and Billy, steal the heat pump, assassinate Archduke Ferdinand, <laughs> and jumpstart World War One. <laughs> so, Billy comes home in a bad mood after talking with the bishop who's pissed off about the heat pump stuff. It seems that they're already behind schedule and right, way over cost. Yeah. But Todd has some good news though. He saved up some cash and is treating the three of them for a £1,000 holiday of a lifetime. A long weekend in Blackpool. <laughs> with, with Nicola Thorpe. <laughs> right, who is... The face. This is amazing, says Billy. Meanwhile, Will has a and dastardly smile as he sits in the community garden looking at the footage his phone has captured. And Summer insists that her room be far, far away from theirs. Yep. Mer- Mercy Tart asks, what has she heard? What hasn't she heard? <laughs> and that's how we end this week's episode. Can we please just get this over with? <laughs> I thought we were finally going to get we this over get with this week. I thought, well, it was going to be uh, FaceTime living it. Yeah. And you know how whenever anybody FaceTime lives anything on the street, everyone seems to get a notification of it and everybody watches it. Right. I thought that was going to happen. Right. But he's just recorded it. Right. So he still has plans in to use this. Rather right. Than his and it, it, you know, initially you think, oh, well, he's going to do that. He's doing this so he can do the right thing and turn Todd in right. so that he can feel okay about his relationship with Summer. And maybe he is. But it but, looks like he's doing it for his own personal gain. Right. Well, either way, it's his own personal gain. The only reason why he's grown a conscience is because he's grown affection for Summer. But he's been paid. Yeah, he's been paid. He's gotten his money, except for like one grand. He's one grand short. Right, which is what's paying for the... Right. Which, I'm sorry, a holiday of a lifetime for a thousand pounds for three people with In two Blackpool? rooms. And it isn't Blackpool, it's just I looked up Blackpool. And, and you can get cheaper. Uh-huh. But... I saw at least two or three hotels where for two rooms for three nights you'd yeah. be a thousand pounds. Yeah. Because Summer wants her own room. Let's not forget that. And she deserves and it. And needs it. Let's she be honest. She deserves it. So yeah, you're not going far for a thousand pounds. No. But he's been paid. He has this. He's he's played an absolute blinder here. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed that I'm glad that they brought him back because it was bugging us for mm-hmm. for however long but they brought him back but they brought him back smarter than he was when he left he sees his own personal gain in this he he knows how to operate and he knows how to how to play Todd at his own game mm-hmm. and that's what Todd's been lacking is someone who right. is prepared to play the game like he plays it because right. Paul's been like too much of a nice guy about it mm-hmm. and or, too emotional and too emotional and too ready to jump to um, to violence mm-hmm. whereas all that just plays into Todd's hands and gets gets Billy's sympathies and and summer sympathies now. Right. I really don't see a way back for Paul and Billy. No, and nor now. would we want that to happen and, to and poor Paul. And that's good. Yeah. But where does Todd go after all this comes out? Because this is surely coming out now. You don't have a video, then not use it. Right. Let's yeah. check off. Of course, video, we said that. Right? We said that about about that chip as well. Chip. The, the SIM card. Or, or the SIM card that yeah. Tim's dad put down the the gutter. 
remember that one? Yeah. You thought, I'll come We've back because that still transmits, but nobody remembers Chekhov that. Chekhov is just really getting lots of royalty checks from Coronation Street, isn't he? But he's not. Chekhov is sitting in his grave rubbing his temples thinking, why do you people not get this? <laughs> if you introduce this, you have to use it. What do I have to do? Anton Chekhov <laughs> sitting in his grave rubbing his temples. As he watches Coronation Street on Britbox. <laughs> in his grave. Leaves it till a Friday night though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you, no, you've spotted it. I am Anton Chekhov. And it seems that we've, again, Chekhov is saying, well, if you start to mention uh, the bishop not being happy... I don't think we've heard the last of the bishop not being happy about this. No. Could could the bishop finally become the uh, conclusion like Maybe. we all have that he's made a terrible mistake right. promoting Billy in the first place? Right. Because he has. Yes. Because he's terrible. Yes. And he's just a bad person. <laughs> he's not just a bad clergyman. Because he's, he's a, a bad, bad friend. clergyman. We never see him like do any clergyman stuff anymore. And he's living in sin, which even if Todd was a woman would be a no-no. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he doesn't know the statutes um, of his own religion. He's he's getting married, which his boss is going to tell him that he can't do. Right. So, I don't know. Who knows? What's Summer's, um, uh, 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 Summer's motivation for this? Purely will, it seems to be. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It's purely will. Somebody's turned her eye for once. Yes. She likes a bad boy, doesn't she? She does like a bad boy. Because remember, she liked that guy who was Corey's friend. Mm-hmm. What's his name? What did we call him? I don't know. I can't remember. Corey, ITV Corey's friend with the weird, with the bowl haircut. Oh, bowl cut. We called him bowl cut. I was like, there's, <laughs> there's, there you go. That mystery didn't last very long. No, it didn't. Yeah, but she likes a bad boy. But yeah, that she's... Her position now with Paul when this comes out is going to be quite um, quite Contrite. tense as well because she's, oh, she was overacting. She was very much Billy's uh, adopted child there. I need to go. I need to get out of this. Right, yeah. Oh, maybe just hang around and talk about it and find out what the real deal is. Right, you know? maybe. But anyway. Well, it was Coronation Street this week. What was your moment of the week? Oh, God. What was your moment of the week? Uh, I thought you might be asking that this week because I don't think there was anything that really jumped out. No, nothing really terribly obvious jumped out. And like but, next week, with lots of things are going to be jumping out. Uh huh. If you know what I mean. Pure Brian's going to need a little chamois leather to clean the lens <laughs> of his camera. He's getting. God, I am very thirsty, aren't I? <laughs> so, my moment of the week uh, was Fizz <laughs> getting back into the dating game and being. Uh, Turning the corner. All right. Uh, that last scene of her closing the um, closing the furniture thing up. Yeah. It just seemed. Or just you know her 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 talk with Tyrone, where it's obvious she's over him now. Yeah, she's you know, not taking any standing on her own two feet. I also really liked the scene with Fizz and Evelyn, where Evelyn gives her the green light to go ahead and and date again. I yeah. thought that was really lovely. I that think- that she was so supportive of, of that idea, even though Tyrone is her grandson. I think I'd, I preferred the um, the chat with Tyrone, though, because it did show more of, of a kind of development in her, that she wasn't um, she wasn't kowtowed by, and she wasn't uh, she wasn't tricked into uh, a shouting match. 
Right. She's kept her cool. Yeah. She won the argument. Yes. She made it clear you're not my responsibility anymore. Yeah. And that bit, that's like, well, okay, yes. that's my moment of the week. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, holy shit, that's two weeks in the trot. Is it? Mm-hmm. What was last week's moment of the week? Last week's last week's moment of the week was Paul and Gemma giving it tight to Todd, which was also my suggestion. Yes. So Enjoy I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to a very barren patch off. Because I'm so thirsty. Right. <laughs> that's, I, want to, uh, I want to wrap this up and get upstairs. Oh. Moment of the week. <laughs> moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Um, everything else. No. Uh. What was your boring moment of the week? <laughs> what was your boring moment of the week? Nick buying a blender. <laughs> brackets that he didn't need. Close brackets. <laughs> I thought that was cute, though. I like Nick being cute and eager. <sighs> Yeah, go on, because I, I got hit in the back of the head with a tile, so I can't think. Oh, you haven't mentioned that. That's it. <laughs> boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Okay, okay. If you've been hit by a tile on the back of the head, please drop us a line. If you can, if you still maintain your motor skills. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com, and we are at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Please. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. I posted a video of uh, Anne Malone's final 24 hours on the show uh, last week, which has already become our most popular video. Ooh. Uh, yeah, and if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will Thank be you. back next week with more Talk of the, the Street. Cheerio. Bye.